This hour of gameplay is brought to you by FanDuel. Bet on all your favorite teams on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. You're listening to Gameplay with Matthew Cause on TSN 1050. Embrace the odds. I want winners. Now I'm going to compliment Al's brother. And not because he got out on, of Leafs lunch on time. Usually he's about 20 to 45 seconds heavy. But today I'm going to compliment him. He actually gave a, uh, a good little tip for betting on baseball that I'm going to reveal to everyone out there right now. And again, good afternoon, everyone. This is Gameplay. I'm your host, Matthew Cos, right here on TSN 1050. And as always, the show is brought to you by FanDuel. Bet on all your favorite teams on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Producer Josh, uh, Michael DeStefano was saying, you know, maybe early on, take some of the overs for stolen base prop bets because maybe the market hasn't corrected because the bases are larger. Yep. That, that's a clever, that's a smart idea there by A.B. Yeah, he was mentioning to me yesterday. So for those who aren't aware of the new changes, MLB has revamped the rules. And uh, going with more of an enhanced look, there's a new pitch clock. There's larger bases. They're going from around 15 inches to about 18 inches larger. So that's an aspect if you want to go on the betting side, and it's going to increase the stolen bases, it, it, it's, the attempts. It's going to do it. So betters, you have to look out for that because those odds are totally going to change. And then there's way more that MLB is going with no more shift. Like there is a ton of um, new, new looks mm-hmm. for Major League Baseball. So we'll see how that impacts the betting world. I know it's going to impact... The way the game's going to be played, because the traditional aspect of the game, it seems like games are going to be relatively shorter now with this pitch clock. That's what you want. You 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 want everything to be between like two fifty six to no more than three hours. That's that's kind of what you want. That's the secret sauce. And they and MLB also confirmed that there will be the runner starting on second mm-hmm. throughout. Um, the extra innings. Yeah, so, so the game is in the 10th inning. It's going to start with a guy on second base because everyone's got to get home. You got, uh, you got kids to deal with. You got traffic. Yeah, I get it. I get it. By the way, um, we were talking the other day about over-unders in baseball. The Texas Rangers, I think it's time just to bet the under 81 and a half wins because Jacob deGrom has already been shut down due to tightness in his left side. I mean, that's, that's pretty vague, but when your whole left side is feeling tight, for a guy who's had injury issues in the past, I feel like it's already time to jump on the, uh, the under for, uh, for all things Texas Rangers. That lineup is not as intriguing as many would think. You know that pitching ad was the, the highlight of... The offseason for the Rangers, but if you go down the lineup, like yeah. Marcus Semien, we knew with the Toronto Blue Jays, kind of took a step down with the Texas Rangers. Corey Seager still putting up numbers. Adolis Garcia. These guys are solid, but when you put them on a grand scale through an MLB and the division they're in, I don't think there's much pressure. The New York Daily News. <laughs> Here's the, 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 the front page for the New York Daily News. It's got a picture of Jacob deGrom in a Texas Rangers cap, and it just says, in amazing form. Often injured, ex-Met deGrom is scratched for first workout with Texas due to tight side. 
Always good when New York gets in. So today's show is absolutely packed. We're going to get the opening thought in a second because in the next segment, we have got Summer McIntosh coming on the show. Um, one of the best athletes in Canada, 16 years old, and is someone destined, has already accomplished so much, and she's going to join us at 2.15. Then at 2.45, Blake Bolden is going to join the show. She's been on on Leafs Lunch way in the past with um, with Andy Petrillo, and she is this incredible story. The first black female scout in the NHL when she was hired by the Kings back in 2020, had a hell of a career at Boston College, was on some of the international teams for the United States. She'll join us at 2.45. But let's get to it. Let's get to the opening thought. Time now for Matt's opening thought. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? And here we go. I mean, it's really nothing more than a self-absorbed monologue, a chance for Matt to rant about something and pretend he's a serious radio personality instead of a gas bag. Let's face it, he stole this idea from Dennis Miller. Now, I don't want to get off on a rant here. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Thank God the Leafs game was boring. Now, hear me out on this. Now, it was exciting if you bet the over, um, and it was exciting, you know, just especially those moments where the Leafs were just throwing them past Peter Morazic. Um, but overall, the post-game analysis is actually fairly dull, which means mission accomplished by the Maple Leafs. And I'm here for it. I really didn't want to do uh, what the hell is wrong with this team. They're so emotionally immature, blah, blah, blah. I mean, beyond a horrible turnover by Jan Kroc, what else is there to say? Five different players scored. Matthews looked great. Samsonov did his job. Again, mission accomplished. So uh, I turned to the NBA. And uh, around 12.30 tonight, well, 12.30 in the morning, the Clippers-Suns game will be over, and the NBA All-Star Game weekend phase of the season will kick off. We'll just be in All-Star Game mode. And I was watching the Heat and the Nets and the Mavs Nuggets and I last night, and I started to rank which teams I would most be rooting for and which teams I would hate to see win a title. And then through it all, I came to one team that I think might be the most fascinating. We'll get there. Now, there are so many obvious ones. If a team's got Harden, Kyrie, or Durant on it, they are out for me. I can't handle the karma ram- ramifications if those players got a title after their shenanigans over the past half decade. Philly, Phoenix, and Mavs, you are out. I'm sorry, Luca. I'm sorry, Devin Booker. Yeah, I'm not so sorry for you, Joel Embiid. <laughs> Uh, there are the teams I'm kind of in the middle about. You know, Boston, you've done enough winning, but I don't hate you. I love Giannis, but Milwaukee won just two years ago. I actually don't really have contempt for the Clippers. Kawhi just wanted to go home. I can't hold that against them. Now, if not for the Raptors, I'm rooting hard for Denver or Memphis. Fun teams, young teams, lots of important Canadians. An extended Morant or Nikolai Jokic run would be great. But then last night, I found the team... That is no chance to win at all, but damn would it be fun if they did. FanDuel has them at 120 to 1 to win it all. But I have to admit, I'm kind of rooting for the Brooklyn Nets. Now, yes, they are guilty of giving too much power to immature stars, but hey, the deal they made with the devil, 
the Faustian bargain they did. I, I'm using a, a Faust reference in honor of Al's brother who talked about how he was a star in English in university. We love to, to chat about old literature. <laughs> um, we all would have made that same deal that the Nets did. In mid-January, that team was competing for a top two spot in the East. Then at the start of February, Kyrie said he wanted to be traded. He was held out with that deadly disease known as calf soreness. Soon after that, he was traded. Soon after that, Kevin Durant was traded to the Phoenix Suns. Since the start of the Kyrie news, the team, uh, three and four. But you can't blame them. But last night, last night, they beat Miami 116-105. Mikhail Bridges started, had a career-high 45 points. Ties season high that Kevin Durant has had. The starters, Dorian Finney-Smith from Dallas, Cameron Johnson from Phoenix, Mikhail Bridges from Phoenix, Spencer Dimwitty from Dallas, they all joined up with Nick, Nick Claxton. You had Cam Thompson coming off the bench, and the uh, 21-year-old who was a late first-round pick in 2021, a week ago, had three straight games of 40 points or more. There's talent, there's fun there. So you have an entire team made up of trade pieces, cast-offs, players deemed not good enough for their own team. Imagine the story. It writes itself. A ragtag bunch of misfits, many of them young and talented, thrown together because of the selfish whims of the NBA's elite, who are always used to getting their way. Oh, but what about a deep Nets playoff run? That would be two middle fingers to player empowerment run amok. Who wouldn't love to see the Nets beat Harden the 76ers or go on a playoff run deeper than either Durant and the Suns or Kyrie and the Mav? Damn, that is what I want. In fact, I, I, I want the Nets to do so well. I want them to do so well that in four months from now, all three of those guys try to get traded back to Brooklyn. Okay, that's going too far. But but then so is back in a team that has a chances of winning it all is 120 to 1. We love a good underdog story. This would be that. We love a good redemption story, a coming out of nowhere tale. And also just sticking it to the NBA elite. Oh my God, that is a boola base of fun. And I want to dive right into that with a big old ladle. If the basketball gods can't give us a surprising raps run, then please give us one with the Brooklyn Nets. And that is my opening thought. I'm finished. And we'll get more into that. We'll get into actually a fun game tonight between the Clippers and the Phoenix Suns. It looks like the, uh, Kawhi Leonard... Is playing and Paul George, a rarity. But on the other side, Summer McIntosh is going to join the show. And I'm curious, how were you able to get into proper shape to do what you did in these summer games of 2021 when COVID had shut everything down? This is going to be a fun conversation, and we will do that next. Chase that down. She might just get it. She's got it. 421-49. It's a world junior record by two seconds for Summer McIntosh. By the way, two seconds. That is forever. 
That's impressive. Uh, welcome back. This is Gameplay. I'm your host, Matthew Cause. If I was trying to go over the entire resume of Summer McIntosh, the interview would start, I would give the resume, and then I would say thank you for joining us. It would take too long. First Canadian swimmer to ever win two gold medals at Afina Worlds. Uh, has broken more than 50 Canadian age group records and was damn impressive in Tokyo in 2021 and so much else. Join us on the show now. It is Summer McIntosh. Summer, thanks so much for joining the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, listen, it, it's fantastic having you on. Uh, you supplied so much sports happy for so many Canadians uh, over the last year oh. and a half, two years. So appreciate you. And, and let's—I'd love to just start here. How did you? How did you originally get into swimming? Was it something that you were destined for, considering you know just your mom and the high levels she hit with Canada back in the day? Yes, I think I grew up um, with a lot of sports around me, not just swimming, but I tried out basically any sport, you name it. Um, But swimming was the one that I always just kind of liked more than the others. I just liked the racing competitive aspect of it and just the simplicity with the pace clock and kind of you touch the wall first, you win, and that was it. Um, It was kind of mostly between swimming or figure skating. Those were my last two, and I just liked swimming way more than figure skating as of now but it's funny because actually me and my sister both were in both and my sister ended up picking figure skating even though she was the better swimmer at the time really okay so brooke yeah because yeah. brooke is uh, figure skating you're uh, you're in the water she is above it in the, in a frozen form okay how competitive <laughs> yeah. how competitive are you two guys do you have an example of getting angry while playing a card game or monopoly or you know um, a, a tubing together and you're trying to knock the other one off Yeah, I think me and Brooke have always had a very competitive dynamic, but in a healthy way at the same time. I think it's helped us both grow into the athletes we are today. And, yeah, there's definitely been some card games, (laughs) like we play war and things like that, that always make us kind of get competitive. But it's never never too much. Well, that's good. And also, I mean, the two of you guys pushing each other. I mean, it it is incredible what you've accomplished. And I know you've been asked this question so many times, but I, I'm sure our audience would be fascinated to hear this. How how difficult is it to try to maintain some sort of, and I, do, I put this in quotations, normal, because there's no real normal, but a more stereotypical mm-hmm. normal teenagehood, because when you are hitting the heights that you are hitting, it, it means you've got, to, you've got to be away from all the other things that all your, a lot of your friends can do. How difficult is it just to have a normal mm-hmm. teenage career when you're close to winning Olympic medals? Well, I think the day-to-day life that I have is very, very normal. The only time things are unnormal is when I'm probably at Worlds or the Olympics when there's a lot more buzz and media around. But my day-to-day life, I've been able to keep a really easy balance. I've been surrounded with an amazing support team of my friends and family, and they keep me grounded, and everyone's so supportive of what we do. And I have so many friends in not just me, but also other sports that understand where I'm coming from, and it's, it's great to have. You know what we're going to do? We're going to call you right back. Uh, we were able to catch most of that answer, uh, but we're, my producer, Josh, uh, is going to call you back. We're joined by uh, Summer McIntosh, and uh, if, if for people listening, it might be hard to have heard all of that answer. I was saying that, just the importance of having a proper support staff, family, and friends. So uh, we'll call you back in one second. I'm Matthew Cause, you are listening okay. to Gameplay uh, right here on TSN 1050. 
So, uh, yeah, if Josh, if you can just uh, talk to Summer and uh, and get her back on the line. Um, but there's a lot I want to get into with her. Just, and, and you could hear it there, like just sort of cutting out a bit at the end of that answer. It's the worst thing. But, um, and I've always been fascinated with sports like swimming because... It is such a lonely event. There are certain sports out there which just you on your own. And uh, Summer, do we got you back? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, good, good. No, you're just sort of uh, uh, cutting in and out. I didn't want the audience to miss anything. And, and let's sort of go there for a second. Um, how difficult is it? Just because in some sports, when you're in a team sport, you have the full camaraderie. But when you're in the pool, it's basically maybe just you and your coach. How difficult can that be, especially when the training is in the higher stages? Yeah, I think I really like swimming the way it is, as it is individual, but it's also such a team thing because there's that relay aspect. So I think having that kind of balance is cool to kind of have both sides of it. So I really do like individual events, but it's always so fun to race along your teammates and compete for Team Canada. How difficult, actually, no, before we get to that, I'm curious. Um, you were at the Orlando sectionals uh, the other day, and again, um, setting previous, setting records and all of that. Uh, I was just wondering if you could tell people what uh, last week was like at uh, the Orlando sectionals. And uh, you joined this group, the Sarasota Sharks. I was wondering if you could just uh, get people caught up with what's going on, uh, what's the latest going on with Summer McIntosh. Yes, yeah, so I switched um, clubs. I'm now training down in Florida. Before I was up in Toronto, where I'm based out of, I live I live there. Um, it's just in Sarasota. I came down here to visit during COVID to get a break, and I ended up falling in love with the program and decided to make the move down here full time. And um, my coach, Coach Brian Arkey, has been incredible and collaborative with making this extremely seamless and possible. And yeah, the past meet of Florida Sectionals, it was it was really fun just to be with. The whole shark team, everyone swam really well, and I think everyone's really happy with the results and kind of just trying to carry that momentum heading into the next few meets coming up. How difficult was it? You mentioned being in Toronto when COVID hit, when all the pools were shut down. I mean, I imagine you probably did more swimming in Lake Muskoka, but you were training for <laughs> Tokyo. You were training for the Olympics. How, uh, how difficult was that? Yes, it was definitely a really hard year, not just me, for, but for every athlete and everyone in the world. I think it's, it was, there was so much unknown. Um, during that time period, I was training um, in my lake. I would just do like little lake swims just to keep the feel of the water because you can lose it pretty fast even if you're out for a week. And we were out for like five months. So, yeah, it was definitely hard to manage. But I think everyone came out the other end stronger than they would have ever expected. What is the coldest, or what is the earliest, and what is the latest that Summer McIntosh will jump in Lake Muskoka? I asked this. I have a cottage not far from uh, not far from Port Carling or Bamora, so I've I've done it in April. I've done it in October, and it can be pretty cold. What is what is the earliest and latest you've jumped in the water? Um, during COVID, I was in the water at in April, and I definitely had like a wetsuit on because I it was it was very cold and it was so windy too. Um, but that was definitely the like the earliest I would jump in. I don't think I could go in and like right after the winter time or anything like that just because it is it gets really cold. Have you been in after Halloween? No, I have not. Oh, no. oh come on! And I, I don't I don't plan on trying to get in because it's just it's insanely cold then. 
I don't want to say you're soft <laughs> because, I mean, to, to accomplish what you've done. But I'm here in wetsuit. I'm here and I'm training in Florida. Okay, at one point, I want to, I want, I want to see yeah. you with my nephew and nieces in Muskoka in, uh, in late October. Yeah, I mean, I've always been kind of a wimp when it comes to the cold. I remember when I was actually a synchro swimmer, and we would train at this pool um, really close to my house. And it wasn't even that cold of a pool, but I actually ended up quitting synchro because I couldn't handle the pool temperature. I was wearing a wetsuit during synchro lessons because I, I would just get so cold. I, I love it. Like the training, the discipline, the work ethic that goes into what you've accomplished. But ev- I guess everyone has to have at least a little bit of kryptonite. Uh, one quote I heard from your coach <laughs> yeah. was about how Summer stands out in that she's so young and is so mature in the work ethic. It's like coaching a 24-year-old. For, for someone who is still <laughs> early in your teenage years, I'm curious, where did the work ethic and the maturity come from? How much of it was from inside of you and how much of it was from your parents? Well, I think it was a lot from my family and not just my parents, but also my sister a lot. I've learned so much from Brooke, um, but also I've learned so much from training alongside amazing, incredible other Canadian athletes on a day-to-day basis and meeting up with them at Worlds and Commonwealth Games and seeing how they handle themselves and conduct themselves on deck. I've learned so much just seeing that firsthand. It's been so many amazing experiences that I've learned and so many great lessons that I've kind of kept with me and carried on to use for my for me personally. Before I let you go, uh, one serious and one sort of fun question. Again, I appreciate some of you, uh, you taking the time to join the show today. What is, uh, what, is this next, what is the next six months? What's the next year uh, in terms of what your goals are? Um, just kind of keeping... Thinking about the small stepping stones, day-to-day grind, just thinking about the small things so I can get to the big thing, um, which is obviously 2024 Paris Olympics and beyond. So just kind of keeping the grind day-to-day and continue to work hard and keep the momentum and continue to improve is always my goal. I saw that your favorite movie is Titanic. I'm assuming if you were Kate Winslet and you were on that beam of wood, there's no way you would have brought Leo DiCaprio on that beam of wood or on that board of wood because apparently you would not have been able to handle the cold water. True or false, you let Leo stay in the North Sea. True, I probably would. I appreciate the honesty. Hey, listen, Summer, um, again, uh, incredible accomplishments and congratulations for everything that you've done. I mean, you were one of the headlines in Tokyo in 2021. I think it's where a lot of us learned who you were. Uh, I love how far you've come, and we can't wait to just follow what's next for you. So all the best, and uh, hopefully uh, hopefully see you sometime up in Muskoka without the wetsuit. You know, mm-hmm. we, we do it. Yeah, for the- sure. <laughs> so thanks so much for joining the show today. Thank you so much for having me. That is Summer McIntosh, Summer Olympian. I, and it's weird because I have to say 2020 Summer Olympian, even though the games were put off until 2021. And it's, it's something where anyone out there who either has a cottage or goes to cottages or has rented one or spends any time near water, there's always that, when do I do it? When do I finally jump in the water? I don't know how it is for you, Producer Josh, but at my cottage, we, I always want to be the first one in, and there's no wetsuit. Now, I only stay in for like seven seconds, and then I get out, but it's like early April, I'm jumping in. I can't do it. And then jumping out. 
I can't do it. Summer McIntosh said it absolutely best there, saying she, she can't handle the cold either. She's in the, <laughs> the warm pools most of the time, competing against the world's best. And yeah, I know. She I, can't even hop into the cold water. So uh, I'm on the summer <laughs> train there. I, I can't do it either there, Maddie. Yeah, and I, I can. What I can't do is all the training and discipline that she's done over no. the past four or five years. Amazing accolades for Summer. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible story. All right, on the other side, I will dip our toes. Uh, I didn't. I actually did not mean to to do the swimming analogy. You've heard me use that expression before. Now I just sound really cheesy. But we'll hear. Uh, uh, we will hear from Sheldon Keefe on his thoughts on Austin Matthews with his first game back as the Leafs defeated Chicago five two yesterday, and we'll get into that right on the other side, right here on Gameplay. Welcome back, everybody. This is Gameplay. I'm your host, Matthew Cause. Start the show on a bit of our, continue the show, I should say, on a bit of a down note. Tim McCarver, 21-year baseball veteran, also the voice of baseball for so long with Fox Sports, has uh, passed away at the age of 81 years old. Uh, he uh, won two World Series, was a catcher 12 years with St. Louis as part of his 21-year career. Cardinals Hall of Fame catcher and broadcaster uh, Tim McCarver has passed away. Um, you know, someone, it depends on your age. If you're, a, I mean, my age, I just think of him as a broadcaster. You get to like 20 years younger or older than me, and then you remember him in his final days as a baseball player as well. Um, I wonder with um, the we the Canadian women taking on the United States today in an event that we wondered if it was going to be going on. I'm I'm thinking do I do I bet on the Americans and not that I want to bet on the Americans, but with our Canadian women in a fight right now, rightfully so, with Soccer Canada, what is the right approach and the states? They're favored in this uh, in this match, the She Believes Cup, which is on today. But what has the last week or so been? It's about stopping, not working out um, because of issues with transparency, with financial transparency. And now, unfortunately, facing the threat of legal action from Canada Soccer, the Canadian women, they had agreed uh, to return to training and they will play in the She Believes Cup. I never want to bet on America. In fact, it's easier for me to bet against the Leafs. I did that a lot last year in the playoffs than to bet against a Canadian team, especially against the States. But taking the States at minus 170. Now, maybe uh, you you be a chicken and you take a tie. But I, I'm going up at minus 170. Uh, Producer Josh, your thoughts. Like I'm just going on. I think it's a good idea. Uh, because of the distractions going on with the Canadian women's soccer team, but then having to having to bet on the Americans that just sort of bothers me a little bit. It's like it in any sport, Matty. If you're betting on the Americans in hockey in a big game, it's like <sighs> it's kind of breaking the ground rule yeah. of, a, of a Canadian here. Yes, there has been the uh, uh, the up and down um, legal discussion with Canada soccer. Uh, back and forth, Christine Sinclair, Janine Becky, putting their word out there, and mm-hmm. they're making very, very kind statements and very um, directive statements. Meaning they they want the the fair the fair share. Yeah, they want to play for their country, but at the same time um, earn what they. What they deserve. deserve. Earn what they deserve. And this is not a, um, you know, the, when you look at, say, uh, like 
I don't believe the idea that some of the WNBA should be making as much of the average player in the NBA just because of ratings and things like that. But when it comes to women's soccer, this is not uh, this is not the same. The the eyeballs, the attention, the revenue, it's there. It's equal on the, on the men's level. We saw what the ratings were at the World Cup for women. We've seen the ratings at the uh, at the Olympics, and this is a team that can go far in whatever international event they are in. Uh, they deserve whatever they're getting. They obviously deserve more, and it's not the first time we've had to deal with this. We had to deal with it on the men's side. Hey, maybe that's the only thing we could say good about Soccer Canada. Feels like to me they're not being misogynist here. They were screwing with the men before, and now they're doing the same with the women's team that has accomplished more than the men. By the way, speaking of just international competition, we, we spoke uh, just with Summer McIntosh, uh, Olympic swimmer, a moment ago, and if people want to see her and some of the other stars of the Canadian team competing for spots at this year's World in Japan, please, all you got to do, go down to the Toronto Pan Am Sports Centre in Scarborough, and you got a little time from March 28th to April 2nd, where some of the headlining swimming stars will be competing. So the Pan Am Sports Centre in Scarborough at the end of March, March 28th to April 2nd, you will see the highest level of international swimming going on. And go there, cheer, cheer on Summer McIntosh. By the way, the great thing with Summer, I mean, she nearly won a whole bunch of medals. She came like in fourth in a bunch of events, and every, every time we hear her name, uh, she's setting a new personal record or she's setting a Canadian record. She's 16. Yeah. So we have a chance to see her next year in Paris at 17. And then, you know, maybe 21, 20. Like, we could see her in, like, if she chooses to. It could be a very tough life. But if she chooses to and is healthy and is motivated and is just, you know, inspired by it, we could see her in, like, four more Olympics. Yeah. Six medals at the Commonwealth Games. Broke the World Junior Record here in Toronto. Yeah. Um, at the FINA World Championships in Toronto. And it's absolutely nuts that... Canada is just pushing out these athletes that are shining at such a young age. If you want to go on the hockey scale, look at Connor Bedard. Absolutely lighting it up for the Regina Pats. Uh-huh. And he's just entering the draft. I know. And the amount of talk of the town that Connor Bedard has is nuts. I went down to the Hockey Hall of Fame recently, and guess whose jersey I saw hanging up? Whose jersey? Number 98, Connor Bedard. Yeah. So these are the impact, and these are the, the marks that these young players and athletes are making so um hearing what summer mcintosh had to say matt was amazing and she's competing against uh women that are three four five years older than her yeah at most times yeah and she's the one that's shining so the the younger the younger moving here i'm young but not that young and i'm also not dominating in sports no <laughs> you're not uh, you know the one thing you and i have in common neither one of us dominating sports all right austin matthews returned and um he looked i'm not gonna say at his full level of dominance, but uh, the one goal he scored, incredible. I mean, just, it was classic Matthews. Quick rip shot, accurate, high, you know, just top corner. And then later on the Connor Timmons goal, it was him and uh, just stripping the puck away from Seth Jones, getting into Timmons, and that made it 5-2. Here's the head coach, Sheldon Keefe, on Austin Matthews' first game back. Yeah, I thought it was good, especially early in the game, you know, like when we had to really gain control. I thought our top two, both of the two lines, I thought when they were on the ice, I thought it was, there was a pretty big gap. Uh, the ice was tilted for sure. Um, and, and Austin in particular, I thought, had some real good jump early. You know, loved the goal. I thought he had some other good plays too. You know, I thought as the, as the emotion of the game sort of um, dipped, 
in the second half of the game, I, you know, I thought everybody was just okay from there, but you're just trying to get out of the game. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a shame, but this happens in all sports. But the contrast between how we treat this, and I, I get it because back-to-back for Chicago, they're not a very good team. They could get Connor Bedard. If they lose 5-2 to the Blackhawks, the entire show is that game. They beat the Blackhawks 5-2, and we're like, yep, yep, good for you. All right, moving on. I mean, it, it makes sense, but part of me is like, oh, I, I feel like, should we give a, at least a couple flowers to, uh, to, the, uh, to the Leafs last night? I, I guess we can give them their flowers, give them some credit, because it started off with, with the bang at the start of the game. Yeah. Nylander, Nylander nine seconds like in, yep. Blackhawks bounce back. And, and, then, and, and by the way, sorry to interrupt. Who won the faceoff on that Nylander goal? It was Austin Matthews. So the first thing he did, wins the faceoff, gets it to Brody. Brody to Riley. Nice pass from Riley to spring Nylander. Bada-bing, bada-bang. It's up one nothing. He shot it right back up. And if you look at the rest of the month for the Maple Leafs, it's the Montreal Canadiens yeah, on Saturday night. Hold back on. To- that's a hard one. We don't, uh, Leafs, yeah. Leafs have a losing record against this stupid Montreal they team. They do, but m- the Toronto Maple Leafs tend to play better at home against the Canadiens for some reason. Uh-huh. When they enter Bell Center, it's like... Uh. We can't win this game. Yeah. We can't win this game. So, yeah, Montreal Canadiens, Chicago Blackhawks, Buffalo Sabres on the schedule list. They're, they're humming. They're, they're close to a wild card spot. you got to watch out for, for those Sabres. But, yeah, watching that game yesterday, it, it pointed um, many fingers to how the Maple Leafs can succeed. Yes, mm-hmm. you're, you're playing Patrick Kane, who didn't play as many minutes as expected. There was some chippiness, but you had to go through it. Samson made some big saves, and you got to move forward. Uh, for the Maple Leafs, the only thing that the only thing that would have made that game interesting because the Leafs never trailed. The Leafs were clearly the better team. Matthews looked good. Nylander three points. Tavares had two points. Uh, Marner um, incredibly dangerous. He only had one assist, but incredibly dangerous. And Samsonov did the job. Twenty seven saves. The only good thing would have been that game. It would have been if um, the only good thing of that game would have been if if Kane if uh, if Patrick Kane had decided, hey, you know what. I'm just going to stay on the Leafs bench. I'm just going to stick around here, and uh, you guys can figure it out. You can trade me, but I'll just stay on the bench. I'll hang out with Matthews and Marner, and uh, and then we'll just get it done, and we'll f- allow management to find a way to get me traded from the Blackhawks to the Maple Leafs. All right, on the other side, I can't wait for this as well. Blake Bolden, first black female scout in the NHL with the LA Kings. She's going to join the show next. I feel like the um, the theme of gameplay today, and welcome back. This is Gameplay on TSN 1050. I'm your host, Matthew Cause. The theme of the first hour is wildly impressive and accomplished women who have done a ton at a very young age, shaming everyone on this side of the glass, going, huh, I'm this age. I haven't accomplished nearly as, as much as my guests have today. All right, I'm just going to keep moving on. Because uh, joining us now from the LA Kings, it is Blake Bolden, who it was the is the first black female scout in the NHL when she was hired by the Kings in 2020. Uh, she uh, three frozen four appearances at Boston College back in the day, uh, part of a lot of important big international women's hockey teams for the United States, uh, and has accomplished so much and is doing so much. It is Blake Bolden. Blake, thank you so much for being on the show today. Hello. I definitely do not want to shame anyone. <laughs> no, no, you should. You should. You a- listen. You absolutely should. Your your resume, your bio, your journey is damn impressive. I appreciate that. 
And, and, and I'd love to go through a lot of, let's go through a lot of the journey, but I, I want to start here uh, because I, I think this is an important conversation to kind of educate people like me. I'm a 47-year-old white dude, and so sometimes when I hear the line, um, it was difficult for me growing up because I didn't have anyone that looked like me. As someone that never had to ever go through that, I, it doesn't resonate. I'm like, oh, what's the big deal? And then, you know, you kind of uh, read up about it, talk to other people, and you realize it is a big deal. And I'm curious for you, as a young girl growing up loving hockey, getting into hockey, but not seeing a lot of people that looked like you, how difficult was that in terms of your own development and your own comfort in this sport? Um, That's just a lesson, a life lesson that you develop, I think, as you get older. I think there's a level of caring a lot what people think about you, a level of wanting to fit in when you're younger, you know, just just certain things like that. When, when you get older, you're like, oh, okay, that stuff doesn't matter. But as a kid, I think, you know, I wanted to straighten my hair so it wouldn't be like a fro. I wanted to not stand out in the way that I did. Eventually, I was just like, you know what? I can't change myself, so I got to start liking who I am, liking my differences because it makes me who I am, and I stand out. And clearly, I'm getting accolades just by being who I am, um, and I really value that life lesson. Life lesson that I've learned. Right, but yeah, but it's a good point you said though. As a child, you're going to view it differently than you are in your 20s or 30s or my age. So then, for you now. How important is it, uh, and we'll talk about your the relationship and you meeting with Willie O'Ree was, but how important is it, do you think, for you in terms of other young girls seeing what you've accomplished just to help motivate them, to inspire them? Uh, well, for me, it's something that I value and it's one of the things that gives me the most energy and fuel to get up in the morning. It's that purpose word that you you wake up and you realize that people look to you for inspiration at times. People look to you for mentorship. Um, People look to you just to be a role model. And as you mentioned, Willie O'Ree, Willie O'Ree was a role model for me. And I think just being told that you are that for somebody makes you act different. It makes you talk different. It makes you walk different. You just want to be better so that you can light a path for, you know, the people coming up behind you. Yeah, it's 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 always about helping the the next wave, the next generation. So, how much of an influence was Willie uh, Willie on you? Someone uh, who you know probably should have been in the Hall of Fame sooner. But how much of an influence was <laughs> Willie uh, just on you and your career? Oh, Willie is. Uh, I, I feel like he's like an Uncle Willie to me. I I followed him uh, to Boston, and then I followed him to San Diego, where I reside now, where he is and his wife Deljeet, and we'll stay connected. We'll do events, especially during Black History Month, and he is honestly such a joy to be around. He's funny. He's light. He can drink us all under the table. Ah! He has great life lessons and you know one thing I love about him is that he never claims to be a victim he always pushes hard I mean he was blind in one eye like he just loved the game so honestly whenever he speaks you listen and it's just been it's it's been really cool to get to know him on the ice and obviously off the ice I have like seven questions I'd like to ask about drinking with Willie O'Ree, but I only have, <laughs> I only have you know a certain amount of time with you, Blake, and I, there's so much I want to get into. Um, what, 
I, I'd love to actually just go back when you were when you were young. What was it about hockey? How did uh, how did you first get into it? Was there a moment when you realized, "Damn, I love this sport, and this is something I want to pursue"? Oh man, there's there's definitely a moment where I said, "Damn, I love this sport." I was a young girl. My mom had a few different jobs. One of them was doing the paper route, and a police officer basically had a crush on my mom. They started a relationship, and that police officer's favorite sport was ice hockey also was a security guard for the Cleveland Lumberjacks. Ah. And so from that relationship, I got to go to these games firsthand, have a little media lanyard running down the hallways in the tunnel of the Gundarina, giving nuts to Jock Collender, going in the locker room in the 90s. Like, Buzz came to my birthday party when I turned 10 years old. And when I was six, I turned to my, my dad. You know, he's my dad now. And I was like, Les, like, how do I play this game and he was not a hockey athlete he was just a fan so my whole family kind of learned the game as i progressed in the sport that is that is a great origin story so then (laughs) we go from there to boston college and and you had success obviously at that level making three frozen four appearances uh, then on the on the other side, how difficult was it? Um, just when you were not you were not part of the the Olympic team that went to Sochi. <laughs> it was so difficult. I was so ticked off. Um, I have to be honest. Yeah. I had an incredible tenure at BC. I was all defenseman, rookie in scoring, all American, first team All Star, blah blah blah. The list went on and on, and I figured. Since graduating in in 2013, 2014, Sochi was my centralization time to shine. And when I got the call and told I wasn't going to be a part of the program, let alone even just the team anymore, my heart was broken. I went back to Cleveland, Ohio, where I'm from, and just sulked for months until I got a phone call and was told by Digit Murphy, who's currently the general manager of the Metropolitan Riveters, like, you need to get your butt back to Boston. I'm going to draft you first overall in the CWHL. And that's kind of how I started picking up the pieces of a failure and and a dream of mine that I had. I mean, first off, good for you. Good for you for being able to pick it back up again. And you know, just that moment where you're not selected, it's a, a very natural reaction just to be that upset and sort of retreat for a moment. But then you, you became the first African-American player taken the first round of the Canadian Women Hockey League draft. Uh, you played there. And then um, let's flash forward a, a little bit to what was it like? Uh, tell me, take me back to that moment when you were hired um, by the Los Angeles Kings. <laughs> oh, man, I love telling this story. Uh, Good. Luke Robitaille found me in the tunnel of the then Staples Center. I was with an organization called Black Girl Hockey Club, and I was a quote-unquote special guest. And Luke, the president of the LA Kings, I was starstruck when I first met him. And a friend of mine, Kwame Mason, nudged me to walk up to introduce myself. I introduced myself. I talked about hockey, what I'm doing now, playing professionally, how it's really hard for women in sport, you know, having dual jobs and practicing and traveling and doing all the things. And he was like, hey, so what do you think about being a scout? Have you ever thought of it? And I said, no. And he just kind of blurbed off his email. I had to memorize it, went home, sent him my resume, you know, a thank you, nice to meet you. And then a month later, I was up in interviews with Nelson Emerson and 
and meeting the whole hockey ops crew and just going through that whole <laughs> scenery of, of like, I can't believe I'm here. What is going on? And what is your role now with the team? Like, because people see scouts and know the difference between the pro scouts, the amateur scouts. Uh, what is the day yeah. in the life for you now with the LA Kings? Well, I currently scout in the American League. Um, I have 10 teams in the Pacific Division that I scout. So I am on the road um, constantly. And then I also have a a gig with the Kings as a growth and inclusion specialist trying to diversify the game in Los Angeles. So if I'm not on the ice scouting, I'm probably playing hockey with some young kids in L.A. County or doing a a ball hockey clinic with YMCA or Learn to Skate or all the other organizations and clubs that we work with with the Kings. So I pretty much have the best job that I could have possibly dreamed of and fabricated around hockey, so it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And I imagine a lot of air miles in the odd shady hotel. And then I, I recently... <laughs> I, 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 that laugh says I'm right, um, or at least I'm close. No, I, listen, I was told at a very early like time when I started scouting, get the Marriott Bonvoy points wherever mm. you go, you know, get the Enterprise. I'm racking up all the points, so I have no complaints. Nah, okay, so you have then you have it better than most, because I hear especially yeah. a, a lot of scouts, it's a lot of those motels where you get woken up because someone's driven their car and the, head be, the headlights are coming right into your bedroom. And I, I, well, I, <laughs> you know, I think I'm really fortunate um, being on the West Coast. I have places like Tucson, Colorado, <sighs> L.A., obviously, Palm Springs most oh. recently. So, you know, I'm not in the Midwest. I'm not just in the middle of nowhere. Smart. So I'm just going to. You know, I'm telling everybody this, but I I want to I want to keep this region because yes. it's been very cool and exciting for me. Yeah, don't scout what's going on in Buffalo would be my message. <laughs> and then uh, just a little while ago, I think you were uh, doing a special youth hockey camp in Mexico City. Like, what's really cool? Mm-hmm. What's really cool, Blake, and I really appreciate having you on the show today. Is not only are you pursuing your own hockey dream and blazing your own path. But just with all these youth hockey things you're doing all across, you know, the southwest United States and in Mexico, it mm. seems part of your job is that the next generation of hockey fans is going to look a lot different than the last generation. A hundred percent. I Being in Mexico City was so fun. We were led by Derek Armstrong, a former L.A. Kings alum, and he does TV with us for, for Bally Sports West, and we had our HD crew come down there, and honestly, they were so grateful. We had USA Hockey come down and give the coaches some coaching clinics and some tips um, and creating practice plans, and it was just kind of planting seeds so they can progress in the sport just like if they were in the U.S. and had all the resources, right? And um, I was privileged enough to go down there. We ate like kings and queens. We had such a blast, and all of the parents were just lining up with their kids for photographs and autographs, and um, it was it was really fun. These are the types of things that I really enjoy doing. Previous to that, we were in Mammoth, California. We go to Colorado. We're, we're just stamping the LA Kings logo like, mm-hmm. everywhere, hopefully all over the world, but especially for black and brown youth, and I think that's just 
one of the greatest gifts in my job. I love it. You can follow her on Twitter at Sport Blake. Also, I see on the uh, on your Twitter account, wearebecomingbold.com. You can go there for a lot of different gear. And uh, as yeah. as we end this, I'm going to go single malt scotch. Would that be Willie's drink? If uh, if I if I if I'm picking a drink for Willie, would it would it have been would it have been some sort of scotch or whiskey? Oh, probably a scotch. He's classy, but he he can take down the beers. Like okay. he's he has no shame. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm the same way. I'm about good wine and Coors Light, so I have uh, I have a little <laughs> bit of uh, of range as well. Ed Blake, really appreciate. Uh, I I loved having you on. Just loved hearing your story, and for the listeners as well, all the best and just continue success in your journey. Thank you very much. Had fun. Take care. That is Blake Bolden, a scout with the L.A. Kings, and a really cool story. All right, the first hour. Different sort of show today. Loved it. There was Blake Bolden. Before that, we had Summer McIntosh. Before that, I was just finding a new excuse to make fun of Kyrie, Durant, and Harden. Coming up in the second hour of the show, we do it every Thursday, the sports version of F. Mary Kill. This hour of gameplay is brought to you by FanDuel. Bet on all your favorite teams on the FanDuel Sportsbook app.